Hello, I'm Noel Lim on ASEAN Speaks by May Bank Investment Banking Group. Our special guest today is Datu Sri Farid Alias, the outgoing group president and CEO of May Bank. Describing himself as the dark horse candidate to be chosen as CEO, he takes us through behind the scenes of his leadership and discusses organisation culture, digitalisation and sustainability, and ending off with some life lessons. Datuk Fadil Mohamad, the CEO of Maybank Investment Bank, speaks to him as a kick-off to our C-Suite Talks series. Thanks for accepting our invitation. I've read some of your interviews in the media, um, and today I thought, We'll do it a bit differently. We want to dive a little bit more on your leadership style and unique perspectives. Mm. So I'm going to start with the last question. I've decided to start with the last question. So mm. if I can ask, how many job offers or board offers have you received since the announcement of your decision? And what's a challenge you can't refuse? You're right. There have been a few offers coming in. Rather, people calling in and say, hey, uh, can you do this for us? I mean, I'm very clear with most of them and I said, I don't want to start talking until after I leave the bank. It's partly because I think it's only right if I were to start doing only after I've left rather than while I'm still sitting on this chair again. Most of them say, okay, okay, let's start talking after end of April. I want to explore something else, actually. I know that typical of a lot of people, once they have been doing similar job, uh, they want to move into something quote-unquote bigger. Uh, hopefully doing something quote-unquote meaningful. Uh, meaning that doing more of what you, the person has been doing for the past 10, 15, 30 years or whatever. And for me, I want to explore something else. And I don't know what that something else is in the first place. Uh, definitely not more of the same, but I wouldn't discount the possibility of sitting on the board of companies. Okay. On that, I'll leave it after 30th April. You're going to take a short break to get some I inspiration. I'll take a short break. Uh, I want to get a bit of a quiet time sure. because you and I know we are working life is very noisy. Your emails, your it's intense. WhatsApp, yeah. Yeah. It, it comes at you yeah. 24-7. These are, well, it, it looks harmless, but these are noise sure. because it's in your head sure. all the time. So I want to get a bit of quiet time. Then figure, figure things out. I saw in a recent interview in The Star, you said, every day you feel like you need to prove yourself. Oh. And, <laughs> and, and this, this probably comes as a surprise to many, including mm. me, um, given your impressive track record and achievements. Can we understand a little bit more why you said that? Um, the reason I said it because uh, I think it started with the creation of GWB. Or maybe it started with me coming back to Maybank, right? Uh, Tansi Wahid, Datuk Si Wahid at that point in time contacted me and asked me to come on board and help him out. And then he said, oh, because we came from the same school, your bar is higher, right? Interesting. Uh, so, so that's a typical that's Sri Wahid, and I use the same standard as well. If I know you before, then your bar is higher, not lower. Sure. <laughs> That's interesting. So, so okay, uh, bar is higher, then I got in. Then we went through that transformation thing, program in 2009, and we setting up a new, the new house of Maybank. So the question is that, okay, who's going to lead GWB? So there were candidates at that point in time. In my mind, okay, this, this maybe I'm a bit boastful. In my mind, I think I was the best candidate. Because I came from the environment, I know how sure. it's done. A lot of the composition of GWB, the ideas about how things should be done came from me because I've seen it before. But I was running international so that I was, a, a, I was not really a candidate at that point in time. I was fine with it. And then for some reason, the candidates that were there at the forefront didn't happen. 
Then Rahid came and said, uh, I need you to take this job. So I said, oh, okay. Actually, I told Rahid at that point, I said, I was, I was surprised. It took you a long time to, to figure this out, that I was the best guy for the job. <laughs> <laughs> I was quite boastful. But, you know, in reality, at that point in time, when I look at it, you know, I said, I know how this is all done. Been in the environment with my previous work. So, uh, so, so that's one. But I think the most, I think, uh, relevant situation for me was uh, was this job, uh, the CEO of Maybank, because I was not the obvious candidate. I knew that I was one of the internal candidates, but I was not obvious to sure. everyone, even internally. When the process happened through the interviews, through the essays that we had to write and all that sure. kind of stuff. Yeah. I made a very clear decision from the very beginning, I will not talk to anyone to get uh, to lobby for the job. Uh, I said to myself that if I were to get it, I would get it on my own accord, right? Um, so surprisingly, I got it, right? But from the first day, well, I thought that I'm not sure, I'm not quite sure how I landed with, how the, the job was landed on me rather than uh, on the other candidates, both internal and external. Do you remember what you wrote in your essay? <laughs> I, it's basically, the essay was, uh, was very specific. What would you do if you were to become, if you were to be appointed CEO? Sure. What would you do? I don't quite remember today what I wrote, but basically uh, things on strategy, things See. on st- structure, how we should approach the market. Pretty much what I've been doing, sure. like, in a way. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Nine years later. Nine years later. Yeah. Nine years later. But so, I was a dark horse. Eh? I was a long shot. Interesting. Yeah. Mm. That leads me to some questions and some observations on uh, the organizational culture at Maybank. Mm-hmm. I think you have often said that Maybank is a very special organization. Yeah, yeah. Um, from my perspective, um, Maybank is an institution I'm very proud of. I think it, it's, it's very institutionalized and Maybankers are accustomed to it. Mm. And, and I think having said that, should there be more accountability uh, given to individuals to make decisions? Mm. Um, and on this same point, how do we balance between a compliant and challenge culture within an organisation? Yeah, yeah. Before, before I go to that point, accountability, because there was a topic or an initiative for empowerment that we wanted to address before. Uh, it has been quite challenging for us to address this. We want to do it, but the recipient doesn't want to take it for some reason. But I just want to talk a bit about sure. culture, how special this place is. I don't want to talk about the past, let's talk about the present. The culture of Maybank was so special that we tried to promote teamwork over everything else. So you see very little individualism within the organization. Absolutely. Because yeah. the individualism will have uh, all the other consequences that might create a kind of culture that promote individualism throughout the entire thing, right? Uh, because we know as an organization, we like football. It's teamwork. The leadership is teamwork. It's always we. It's always we. It's never about Lionel Messi. Correct. It's always about the team. Yeah. Even though the news talk about Lionel, Lionel Messi and the news talk about me, the reality is that sure. it's a team. How the sure. team play with each other, the strength of each other, and defending the, the weakness of each other. Maybank has that culture. Maybank has a culture of people backing each other up. At least, you know, uh, uh, at my level, with my, my colleagues, we've got people who back each other up people who are so selfless that they go beyond their own role to help the other guy or to help the bigger team. There are people who are so selfless and step up when somebody else are not able to do it. 
uh, and they will do it for the organization, not for themselves. We we have this this uh, this culture within within the team. You know, it's not pervasive throughout the entire Maybank. Sure. But imagine if it's pervasive. Imagine if it's everywhere. It's fantastic. But at least from what I see, pockets of that. And then the level of energy, especially if you go down to the ground, you go to the branches, which is why I love to go to the branch, right? You know, I go to the branch, meet, meet those people, the initiative that they had, the level of teamwork, camaraderie, level of uh, uh, dedication and, and passion for Maybank on the ground is awesome. Exactly, I've seen that. It's quite interesting because the culture seems very embedded. And I think, how far back do you think this culture was sort of evolved and how has it been built on over time? Do you think this embedding of mm. teamwork values, was that something developed by leaders prior to you? I, I think so. I think, I think it was something that was embedded by may, maybe even the late uh, Tansi Kutekpat himself. Because Tansi Kutekpat, from what I know, from my reading, is the guy who prioritized relationship. And here, when I talk about relationship, relationship with customers. Lah. Sure. Uh, that's the kind of culture that he basically cultivate through the old Maybank and that culture has actually uh, actually survived throughout all these years the way we look after our customers, right? So the evolution that has taken place, I think, in my mind was that the culture remains at the branch. The head office, quarter culture change. The one that actually helped us in transforming the bank further was when we changed the culture in the head office to reflect the ones at the branches. So wow. that was actually helped. That was significant. Yeah, 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 that was quite significant. In working with you, I find you to be a very principled leader and you're prepared to make hard decisions on clear grounds of principle. Can I ask, where does this strength of character come from? Oh, um, it's basically, it's basically uh, from the desire to be able to sleep at night. <laughs> <laughs> to sleep well. The desire to be able to sleep well at night. Uh, the, the desire to be able to sleep with uh, clear conscience. Peace. Mm. Um, I'm a human being. Uh, I'm just like anyone else. I'm not perfect. I'm not a saint. You know, I'm I'm just like any other guy. There are certain things that we don't do. Certain things that we observe. Right. For the organization, we need the organization's character and personality to come up very clearly as well. And uh, that character and personality. Uh, I think in the case of organization, it starts at the top. If the top is is top compromising kind of person, sure. then the organization will be that way. It's a responsibility to make sure that we continue with that. The top, the leader, has to personify that, right? When it comes to taking accountability and responsibility for the organization, the rest of the organization can uh, can mirror it. That character can be seen, can be perceived by people outside of the organization because it's practiced within the organization. The alternative is not acceptable. Fast forward to now, it's also an interesting time for banking. Mm. And Bill Gates once said that banking is necessary, banks are not. Yeah. What's the future of banking as you see it? <laughs> you know, this is a very interesting topic because we've been looking at this since 2013. To be completely honest, when we went through the first transformation back in 2009, we never factored in digitalization at that point in time because nobody talked about it. But increasingly, over the years, uh, 2010, 2011, we, we saw, we hear, uh, but not very clear sure. at that point in time. By the time 2013, when I, mean, I took over the job and I said, you know what, I think we have to explore this. This is going to happen, no matter whether we like it or not. Uh, we, we went around, or I didn't, I get 
some people Michael Fong, Datuk Lim Hong Tat masa tu uh, Suhail, Jeff Stasik go around and check out what's going on around the world bring back what you learn what's the inside kind of thing because I was I was scared of a situation when uh, when there's just too much information whether it's fear whether it's greed will take will make you run around like a headless chicken and you do a lot of things that are completely unnecessary so I needed to get into a point when we understand what is and what isn't. So I think thankfully we got that. But uh, in my mind, uh, uh, there is a possibility when, where we can even be more. I got these two different time stamps during my stint here. First time stamp was at that point in time when I presented to the board based on what we learned. And I said, you know what? Based on some of the ideas that we have, we might turn into a technology company. So that was an early time stamp. And the board at that point in time told me, oh, well, our date was <laughs> right? And then the, the, a couple of years down for, uh, to the future, and this time around, uh, we had an offsite in Shanghai. So I brought a couple of external guys, technology guys, to the board. After everything done, uh, then I told the board the same thing. He said, you know what? If we, if we were to do all this, we might turn to become a technology tech company, company. A tech company. And the board at that point in time asked me, how soon can you get us there? <laughs> That's interesting. I think there's a lot more we can do. Within the, the initiatives that we have, for example, Charisma. Charisma, in my mind, is a very powerful oh. initiative, very powerful. But we need, we need to get our guys to take a leap of faith. We know it, computing power, it's math, it's sure. algorithm. You and I know it, I mean, trust we the numbers. We see, we see digitalization even in investment banking, yeah, in brokerage, yeah. for example, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, with algos, HFTs, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and the need for us to think about the trend and how, uh, how things are evolving in that yeah, space yeah. is critical. You introduced Jeffrey Moore's zone to win <laughs> concept into our management philosophy and our scorecards. And mm -hmm. I think within the context of digitalization and future readiness, how do you manage the inherent conflict between driving performance zone, mm. which is the cash cow, mm. and investing in the incubation zone, which is the future business, uh, which can take up a lot of capital mm. um, at the beginning and offer very uncertain returns yeah, in, yeah. in that sense. So yeah. what's your views there? So, so that's very interesting because we were having trouble trying to bring innovation and creativity into Maybank up to this point. The question of how do we bring something completely outside of the box, uh, beyond BAU, to an organization that are comfortable and focused on BAU. And we were trying a lot of things. I was actually on a break in New York and a friend flew into New York. He was flying to New York anyway. Uh, before that, he called me up and said, hey, I need to have a chat with you. Uh, and I have a few of these friends. And he said, I need to have a chat with you. And he said, no, I'm in New York. I said, okay, I'm flying to New York. So we had breakfast and he showed me the book and he opened that page about the zone to win. When I look at it, huh, interesting, right? So on the flight back, I read the book cover to cover. <laughs> he came to the office one time and said, you know, you are one of the few people that when I gave you a book, I just want to show you a section. You read the entire thing. But anyway, we needed a solution because we know in an organization, we have a scenario where we wanted to introduce new thing. It's human nature and organization nature mm. that the inertia and the, the inability to try new things 
will kill it every right. single time. It's, 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 it's not the fault of anyone within the organization. That's how organization operates. The zone to win concept give us the permission to come up with a framework on how we can approach this. And it's quite interesting through the, the performance zones and through the innovation zone. We already have initiative programs. We just need to have a new approach. It's a framework. It. A new framework. It gives you permission. Correct. Correct. To think about new things, to yeah, think yeah. about investing in the yeah. future. Because yeah. I know very early, in 2013, when we wanted to do all the digital stuff, if I were to put this digital stuff through the process that we have, it will die a natural death very quickly. All of them. The things that we do, whether sure. it's May, whether, sure. it's, uh, whether it's digital loan that we have right now, sure. it will die. So we had to come up with a different process. That's a great insight. Yeah. Thank you. Let's talk a bit about sustainability, um, mm. a topic I know that's very close to your heart. I recall at an engagement we attended together, it was a, it was a Bank Nagara engagement, in fact. Mm. Uh, you pointed out that a lot of the ESG agenda is driven by the E or the environment, mm. environmental narrative from the West. And, uh, climate change. Yes, mm. and, and you reminded the audience that we cannot ignore the S or the social aspect of it. Can you share your thoughts on this? Oh, I can go even beyond. In reality, this is where the topic can get very interesting sure. for a markets guy like you. In reality, if we are serious about climate change, I wanted to make sure that it will not happen the way we sure. anticipate it to happen based on the trend. We just need to take a couple of steps back on the way we consume stuff. The reason why we have so much excesses, so much extremes at this point in time is because some people blame the number of human in existence today. But the reality is that it's the way we consume. It's just way too much. We just have too, way too many clothes, sure. way too many food, way too many cars, way too big houses, way too many everything. But that, you know, if we can take away some of that, imagine, uh, imagine if today all, everybody in, on earth decided to live according to a minimalist style, this thing will be sorted out very quickly. Very quickly. But then again, corporations will not allow it because corporations need to make record profit year every sure. year. And the reason why corporations need to make record profit every year every year is because owners have capital demand. So the approach that we do today, a lot of people are not going to like it when I say it this way. We do it this way because we, we said, okay, banks, you need to make sure that organizations need to comply with their own emission, right? Yeah, we can do that. Uh, we can do that. Sure. We might have an impact uh, uh, in making sure that the increase is less than one and a half degrees. We might. But we know as it is today, the biggest polluter is not observing. America, China, these are the two biggest polluters in the world. Yeah. Whatever Maybank does, is not going to have an impact that. on the rest of the world. So in a way, we say, you could say, you know what, what's the point? Because the big guys, the biggest polluters, that can make a difference not doing it anyway. But then again, we start asking ourselves and say, yeah, it should start somewhere. somewhere. Yeah. Right? And with almost everything, with everything in life, it will have to start with us, right? Everybody's got to do their part. We have to do our part. We mm -hmm. have to do our part mm -hmm. so that we can sleep better at night. Sure. 
that's why we we are embarking on this because it's important because it might make a difference and ultimately and here where the human capital bit come, come in it because sure. you need to have a working environment where people understand their sense of purpose right so here's an opportunity for us to define properly what humanizing financial services is sure but in this case we use ESG as a platform in a way it's a bit of a reset yes to get people to think about that sense of purpose yeah yeah, yeah. Right. Just just touching a little bit on how COVID-19 has actually affected a lot more people in terms of inequality. Mm. I think there's this, you know, there's, it's created greater level of inequality. As we see as individuals or as nations, what do you think we can do to make a difference on this? We need to take a look at the long game. We need to take a look at the contractual arrangement of how wealth are distributed. Um, the existing contractual arrangement of how wealth are distributed between owners of capital and uh, labor, society, government, and how government spend that money. Right now, looking at segments of the society and how wealth grew, it is very clear that the owners of capital have an a bigger share of the cage because the growth rate is just phenomenal. Whereas labor, rate of growth is falling behind. Within the labor organized uh, structure from the top to the bottom, is faster at the top than it is at the, the bottom. bottom yeah. right? So within the labor itself, uh, uh, you know, we have inequality. But within the society, the owners of capital uh, is more or less like the Landowner back then lah. That's right. Pre-industrial yeah. revolution. Yeah. You know, uh, French uh, for England. Uh, the bourgeois and the proletariats. Correct. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and 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 which uh, you know which led to the off with the heads. Sure. Uh, why don't everybody eat cakes? Sure. You know. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's like that. Right. So it's it's coming back again, going there, and it's being felt right now. As we know, we always say that education should be. Uh, a platform in which everybody can reach financial independence. Uh, it might be true then. 30, 40 years ago, at least in the context of us living in Correct. the world today, it's becoming less and less true today, right? Uh, it's very difficult for a, a, a fresh graduate to be able to catch up. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so something yeah. is not quite right. Within this, there's also class, right? If you belong to a certain segment, you can afford it. So at the end of the day, the long game of it, we need to take another look at the contractual agreement on how wealth are distributed. I think that's a, that's a very, very uh, insightful perspective that mm. you've just given. And, and it would be great if, you know, when you're out there, uh, you can give some level of thought leadership on these points. I think it would be great if you mm. can share that to let people start thinking about this a lot more. The, the gap's becoming wider yeah, and it's yeah. going back a full cycle. Yeah, yeah. yeah, You come from a very humble background. Poor background. <laughs> and, and, poor work, family, poor family. and work your way up. Mm. And um, there will be many young people out there with a background similar to yours. What is your advice to them? Uh, it's okay to have ambition. In fact, you should have ambition. And you should not uh, anchor your ambition on anything. Certainly not from where you came from. Think big. Um, come up with a plan. Um, you know, uh, 
come up with a plan on how you want to chart your uh, your career. It will not come out the way you plan it, but at least you have a plan. At least you have a, a general idea. Make friends. Make a lot of friends. Uh, both up and down, not just up. Be hungry, uh, but never compromise on your principles. Never compromise on principles. If I were to have one advice for the younger guys, I, I would advise them to always live within your means. Always live within your means. One of the things that I've been able to say or do the things that I think is because I never live beyond what I can afford. I always believe that at any point in time, somebody might come and say, Farid, we don't need you anymore, right? And I can always, I can always deal with that situation. Sure. I can live smaller and that sure. kind of stuff, you know? When you can afford it, go ahead, right? But not before that, lah. not before you can afford I can give you an example, you know? I, th I think it's human nature for people. Uh, when they come to a job like the CEO of Maybank, right? They move to a bigger house, they buy more expensive cars, more cars. I didn't do either of that. I stayed in my old house. I didn't go out. So, live within your means. <laughs> thank you for the hey, candid conversation. Uh, I think on behalf of all Maybankers, uh, we thank you for your leadership for the past nine years. Working with you has been a pleasure and I wish you all the best. Yeah, likewise. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Good luck, man. And that was Datuk Fadil Muhammad, CEO of Maybank Investment Bank, in conversation with Datuk Sri Farid Alias, Group President and CEO of Maybank. Watch this space for more C-Suite Talks and ASEAN Speaks at Spotify and Apple Podcasts. I'm Noelle Lim with Maybank Investment Banking Group.